You know who I can do without? I can do without the people in the video store. Which ones? All of them. This is Massive Late Fee with Mike and Mark. Hey everybody, welcome back to Massive Late Fee. I am Mark. With me as always is my co-host Mike. How you doing, Mike? Not bad. How about you? I'm doing good. We had a good week. Uh, I want to, right off the bat, before I forget, I want to thank uh, our Patreons. We have a, uh, a Patreon now. I will uh, link it in the description below uh, if you want to, uh, you know, throw us a dollar or, uh, you know, we, uh, I think we, right now we have a few different tiers, but I'm, I think I'm going to consolidate some of them, but right now we have a dollar and if you want to actually be on the show, $50. (laughs) I don't expect, uh, (laughs) I don't expect anybody to, uh, to actually do that one. But, um, but the option is there if, uh, if you want it. But I want to thank, uh, our new Patreons, Miranda and Leah. So uh, I'll try to give you a shout out again at the end of the show. Which is where I'll probably do most. We'll, we'll probably do most of our shoutouts. But before I forget, I want to make sure to shout out uh, Miranda and uh, Leah. So thank you very much, guys, girls. The women love us, Mike. What can we say? Now, guys, you also can become patrons if you want. Uh, so I'm gonna kind of slam into the news here. <laughs> I don't really have a transition for this, but uh, we've been talking a lot about. Kevin Smith films, then we have uh, a piece of Kevin Smith news. The Jay and Silent Bob reboot is, it's been delayed, but it's actually happening, and the script is apparently finished, and they are going to begin filming soon. I, you know, when uh, they first started talking about doing another Jay and Silent Bob movie, I was sort of, you know, it's one of our favorite, one of my favorite um, movies of his, but I was kind of hesitant, but then I heard the idea that they're trying to prevent a reboot of their movie that was made in the original Chance on the Bob Strike Back, and, it, <laughs> and it's sort of a, a play on, you know, reboots and stuff like that, and I think that that could be very funny. I just hope it's a gritty reboot, the best type of reboot <laughs> there is. Could you imagine just like uh uh like a bunch of uh like trained killers trying to stop them? <laughs> yeah, I know we, we just watched Clerks uh and we did a commentary on it. Yeah, that's right. Uh if uh we have uh our commentary up on Bandcamp, I will also link that below. That's also available on our Patreon. Obviously, if you want to check that out, uh that's on Bandcamp. That is uh free, uh although you can Pay as much as you want if you want to uh, chuck in a dollar there for us. Uh, that would be much appreciated. But yeah, I will uh, link that all below. But I, I think we had a a pretty good uh, a pretty good commentary on that. What do you think, Mike? Well, yeah. Um, and since I specifically requested that we make this short because I have to get up early tomorrow, let me derail this real quick. Okay. Um, do, if if you could cast uh, clerks from any actor you could do, what would you do with the roles? Who do you think would be good choices for them? Would you, would you go with the originals or would you go with someone else? Well, I mean, if I like the originals a lot, I would probably keep it as it is. But if we're recasting, um, geez, that's a 
That's a, a very interesting question. Um, I think... Don't mean to put you on a the spot there. I'm just, you know, like, I'm thinking, like, you know, with Jeff Anderson and everything, I, I don't... I don't really think you could do that. I mean, the only other one would would probably be Jason Lee. Um, yeah, I, I, I really don't think you could replace uh, the actors. I mean... Yeah, it's it's that's a really... That's really tough. I mean, I could think of some people that sort of look like the original actors, but I, I don't, I don't, there's such a, that movie had such a charm to it. I don't think you could really ever recreate that. The only one I could think of, and this was like, it'd be a pure Hollywood decision, and he's probably too old anyways, is you probably put like Ryan Reynolds as Randall. I thought about that too. Um when you said that because they do look a little bit alike and he's kind of got that same sort of Weisenheimer vibe. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I don't know. Like I, I, I still don't. And you know, uh, empirically speaking, Ryan Reynolds is probably a better actor than Jeff Anderson. And I could, could find better actors than the, the people that did it and, and cast the movie that way. But I don't, I, I don't think it would work. I don't think it would work as well as it did. Yeah, there. I really don't. There Part of its charm is you don't know the actors. Yeah, and and the their performances, you know, have a charm to them. It, it's all everything's very simple. It's almost guerrilla style filming, and it's uh, it all really works together. But yeah, so that is going to be filming, and uh, the other news. That we have today, just two quick pieces of news, so we can get through this, uh, which is what our listeners say. <laughs> Let's get through this. Um, the uh, I believe that the Catholic Church often uh, subscribes listening to this podcast as penance. <laughs> that in the other thing. Oh, oh God, the Catholics. Um, the uh, Breaking Bad is apparently going to also have a movie uh vince gilligan is writing it uh i think it's it might be written already uh but he is uh the creative force behind it obviously he's the creative force behind breaking bad no uh like no solid details yet there's a lot of speculation that it's going to be a continuation of um jesse pinkman's story and then uh i read the other day that uh uh, Brian, um, uh, what's Cranston. It? Yeah, Brian Cranston uh, has said that he he hasn't seen anything yet script wise, but he's keen to to be in it as well. Uh, you know, I, I I guess the 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 show was so the timeline of the show was so tightly compacted that I don't know if they could really do a side quest I, I mean i guess yeah, that was my thought that if any if especially if brian cranston's gonna be it have to i mean i'm I, i'm there is oddly enough some speculation over this but i'm almost 100 sure that uh walter white's dead at the end of the series yeah the, and i've heard people that say well you know it's not definitive that he died and everything i i don't i can't see vince gilligan doing that i think that um I think he's way too smart and way too good of a creator to kind of go back on that and be like, no, you know, he's alive and everything and got arrested or what, you know, whatever would have happened to him at that. Yeah. Point. At the same, at the same time though, these characters are so lovable, not lovable, but they're so well liked. I mean, I think most people probably myself will give him a pass. It's like, Oh, Walter White's still alive and here he is on trial or, 
here he is escaping from prison or here he is starting a mariachi band. I mean, <laughs> I'd pretty much watch anything with those characters written by Vince Gilligan. Yeah, I, he could do it. I mean, like uh, if there was anyone that could do it, it would be him. I, I agree with that. But I think uh, I think either Walter White won't show up in it and it will just be a continuation of Jesse's story, which is kind of open-ended. And that seems to be what Vince Gilligan is sort of hinting at because he really didn't, when he talked about it, he didn't really mention Walter White. He, he kind of talked about different characters whose arcs or, or stories were left somewhat open-ended, which Jesse's, you know, really kind of was. And oh, for sure. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> and, and I think uh, I think that's Movie meal. I think that's probably uh, I think that's probably what it's going to do. It's probably going to focus on on Jesse. Although I could see Walter White appearing uh, in flashback kind of things. Yeah, that can make sense. Or or maybe Although, even it's like some like as like a, a specter like haunting him. I mean, not yeah. not like a real specter haunting him, but just like he's losing grip on reality and kind of sees you know Walter White. Yeah, he's definitely would almost certainly have some kind of PTSD from being locked in a hole in the ground for months. Right. See, I, I, don't get me wrong. I really I think Aaron Paul's a great actor, and his portrayal as Jesse was amazing, but. I never found that character to be super interesting. Um, there, there were certain aspects. I, Walter White was always clearly the more interesting of the two of them. There were, and you know, I looked at Jesse a lot as comic relief. Um, oh, for sure, at certain points, definitely. And uh, and that was, you know, that was that was good. You know, that was a good, um, a good part for his character to play, although he was a little less, he became less that as, uh, as Saul came in and Saul really kind of took over the, uh, Bob Odenkirk took over the, the comic relief areas of the show. But, um, there were, there were a few different aspects of his character that I thought were, were somewhat interesting, but yeah, a lot of, uh, a lot of times it, it just, it pales in comparison to, to Walter White's arc, you know? Yeah, and there's so many great... Like, obviously, uh, Saul Goodman is a great character and not obviously good enough to make a series about entirely. Mm-hmm. I always liked, uh, I always liked um, Gus, but clearly he's not going to be in any sequels. <laughs> right. Unless, unless he's still alive somehow. <laughs> oh, my God. Also, I, I, I may have said this before, but I, I think a hilarious uh, sequel would be uh, with uh, Cuddy and a Huel in Badger and Skinny Pete. And they're just like going around, like helping out, like you know, like fake, like you know, they're basically like conmen. I would watch. I would watch the hell out of that. If, I mean, if Vince Gilligan was involved with that, absolutely. Yeah, because I mean, they're all. I mean, Skinny Pete and uh, Skinny Pete and um, sorry, Badger, obviously, like con the. Uh, I can't remember their name. The black, the blacks. You know the people who helped form Gray Matter. Oh yeah, um, with their laser sights. When Walt convinced them that they were like you know snipers, you know on them. Gretchen and Elliot. That's it. Yeah, Gretchen and Elliot Black. Yeah, you know, and it sounded really racist for a second there. The blacks. The blacks. They con the blacks. <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> and then uh, obviously Huel and um, Cuddy both survived. I don't think any of them were. Well, no, actually Huel is kind of. Hilariously enough, was in witness protection. <laughs> For all we know, he's still in witness protection. Yeah, that's true. We never figure out when. And maybe that's another. <laughs> maybe that's another character that they will uh, that they'll yeah. kind of delve into. 
But if they uh, if they all four of them teamed up, you know what you call the series? Fallacies. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I would watch. I would absolutely watch that. And the I like those characters a lot too. Um, you know, those they're uh, um, interesting. I and I think you could expand on them for sure. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, for sure. Like Cuddy, like seems like he's a professional con man. How that works, I don't know. I mean, Huel, you could at least say he's like a bodyguard, but not really because he's clearly, you know, good at sleight of hand and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, but I guess I guess Jesse probably wouldn't want to, you know, deal with Huel for sure. He probably has a grudge against. Yeah, I would imagine that uh, that he's not too happy with Huel in his part uh, from uh, uh, what was her name, Andrea, her her, uh, her son, um, maybe. Yeah. Brock was the son. I don't remember the mom's name. Yeah, I think it was Andrea, something like that. But uh, yeah, that. Uh, but that'll be interesting. We'll keep uh, we'll keep an eye on that. We'll keep everyone appraised with what's going on with that movie. It's definitely something I will I will absolutely see when it comes out. Oh yeah, yeah wherever it's at in the theater on AMC, Netflix. I don't know. I, there's not much information about it, but that's definitely right up both of our uh, alleys. Oh yeah. So, uh, you know, moving right along here, um, we are going to go into our second edition of Educating Mike. This is where uh, I read Mike the synopsis uh, or uh, story or whatever of a, a movie, TV show, comic book to just, just to uh, expand Mike's horizons on uh, entertainment since he hates everything in entertainment. Yeah, I, I really, I really do hate everything. I mean, it's not a prank we're not pranking you you're a hero <laughs> it's not a bit i just uh I, I realize that i hate most things but uh you you may remember from last time that we uh we started with uh the first uh of four archie versus the predator comic books and uh we're going into part two now if you remember mike from last time we left off where the uh the riverdale gang had gotten back home to uh i think it's moe's uh a uh, little the malt shop yeah the malt shop um i gotta say I'm, I'm the only thing that would be more exciting to hear than this is if uh, there were more adventures of max Wright from alf that was the best thing ever <laughs> yeah for anybody that's interested go back to and listen to uh, our last episode uh part one of this series definitely listen to part one of this series because we're going to be you know continuing with kevin smith's movies but that uh that max wright story is something else it's a doozy <laughs> but uh yeah so they're back at the uh, the malt shop and um betty is uh, is uh, <laughs> feeling guilty because she has uh, one of Cheryl's dresses so apparently <laughs> appa- apparently after uh after they they were brutally murdered i mean you know not that the gang knows about it yet but uh they were snooty she just she just raided her uh, her luggage for some reason because she has one of her dresses on so they're uh, they're in the mall shop and uh, you know just chilling and everything and we see right away um that uh betty's got that uh that knife still and we see the uh the red vision of the predator so we know he's around somewhere their little geeky friend comes up and says that he's got awful news and that cheryl and jason were uh were killed at the resort uh and apparently it was some kind of jungle animal and all like right away betty uh 
kind of seems to think that it's her fault. I think because she she took the knife and she, you know she kind of cursed out Cheryl in that little uh, that little place and everything. And uh, the uh, the owner of the uh, the malt shop comes up with a welcome home cake, this big chocolate cake with a strawberry on top of it. And uh, he says that, um, oh, you know, I made you guys this special welcome home cake, but, you know, maybe now's not the time. But, of course, you know, Jughead's, Jughead's into it. He wants, uh, <laughs> he, he wants that cake. But, uh, you know, it's so funny because I just, like, I see, see this guy. He's, he's portly, a little bald and everything. And I just kind of think about uh, the backstory that he probably has where um, – you know, he, he and his wife couldn't have any kids of their own, and he feels really close to these uh, kids that come in here every day, and, you know, he's gone to all this trouble to make them a uh, welcome back cake. Well, uh, next panel, his head gets blown completely off in a shower of blood, absolutely destroyed. You can't even see any of it. Just completely headless. Uh, Veronica's covered in blood. Everyone is screaming. He... Uh, he falls down charred in the middle of uh, of the uh, restaurant. Jughead's still got the cake in his hand. <laughs> Probably eating it. There's, uh, there's an eyeball on top of the cake. <laughs> but he's still holding it. Uh, everyone kind of runs towards the back room. And uh, Betty says that she knows that all this is happening is her fault. And she needs Veronica to come with her now. And they're going to go to Greendale, not Greendale Community College, like from the television show Community, but the neighboring uh, to Riverdale, Greendale. Nice. So as they get into the car, she says that uh, she thinks that she did this because she put a, a hoodoo, a, 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 a um, curse on Cheryl and said some pretty nasty things about Veronica, too, <laughs> when she was in that thing. So she's worried that this is... Uh, this is her fault, and she wants to go see Sabrina. Um, I get maybe this is an allusion to Sabrina the Teenage Witch. I don't. I don't know because I don't. Probably. I don't really know this character. But um, uh, Betty says that um, she knows that that uh, this Sabrina will know what to do because in the library, all the the books on voodoo, Sabrina's name is in them. Having checked them out. Which also means that Betty checked them out too, <laughs> and they're reading on a watch list, and they're reading the same book. So I'm not sure exactly what she thinks she's going to learn from her. But you know, the police are on their way uh, to uh, help out the other people, and they've slipped out the back, and uh, you know they've left, and they go to Sabrina's house, which is this old, like almost like the uh, the house in Psycho is kind of what it looks like, one of those Victorian type mansions. And she answers the door, uh, looking all goth. She's got the uh, the black like um, vest on with uh, it's like that it's like that Barbie doll goth kind of thing where she's she's blonde to almost be white hair, very pale green eyes, the white like cute dress with the tiny little black vest. And uh, so she, they they come in, and uh, Betty kind of tells her what's going on. And she says uh, that she took this ceremonial knife. So Sabrina says, okay, you know, let me uh, let me look in my books and everything. She's all creepy and shit. And she puts on a fucking goat's head. <laughs> like a Satanist. 
and starts flipping through her books. She holds up the knife. She starts, uh, you know, giving these incantations and the predator bursts through the window, stabs her right through the guts. (laughs) And the knife falls, the the knife falls on the floor and shatters completely. And, and uh, yeah, it just it just shatters the the ceremonial knife. The predator rips uh, Sabrina's head out with her spine and everything. Blood comically, and this is, it's so funny how like it's still it's still you know manages to be funny. Blood just spurts directly on Veronica missing Betty. Like every time Betty where Veronica just gets drenched in blood, and Betty stays completely clean. Uh, Sabrina's cat. Yeah, this has got to be this has got to be like a Sabrina the Teenage Witch thing because she's got a cat too. Her cat uh, jumps at the predator and he vaporizes it. You can see the uh, skeleton of the cat as he as he the, uh, nukes it. Does the cat say something sassy before it's vaporized? No, it just says rawr. <laughs> oh, but, real quick, uh, I, I guess in that um, in that one on Netflix, Sabrina, mm-hmm. there is a character named Harvey. <laughs> Yeah, that's awesome. I don't know if that's I don't know if that's from like the comics or what, but that's I thought that was pretty funny. Oh uh, yeah, it must be. But uh, yeah, so um, uh, so the predator's completely gone at this point. Apparently, he just like it's pretty confusing. He destroys the cat and then just pieces out. <laughs> so they're sitting there, uh, and Betty has gotten the predator on uh, a picture on her camera. <laughs> so uh now Veronica's uh you know goes through uh Sabrina's clothes to the, what the fuck? they keep raiding dead people's clothes. <laughs> but since she's covered in blood, she uh she wants to put something else on, so she does. And uh Betty shows Does she make any sassy comments on oh all black? She does say uh yeah, she goes in and she says, she goes, I'm borrowing clean clothes from Sabrina's closet. It's not like she can use them anymore, especially the turtlenecks. <laughs> and then she goes, weird, weird, weird. Nice. Oh, oh, Classic cute. Veronica. Oh, cute. And it's like a little white dress. So uh, <laughs> she, uh, Veronica starts to change. And they're, they're oddly calm for the fact that the predator had just been there and could come back at any minute. So well, she, if he was going to kill him, he would have killed him then, right? You would think so, yeah. But she starts to uh, she starts to change. She's got all her clothes off. Betty's looking around the room. She picks up an axe. Go on. And, <laughs> and the predator starts coming in because she's got that axe. And then she puts it down, and so the predator leaves, kind of, um, you know, showing how he won't uh, he won't attack anyone if they're not armed. Yeah, if it, if it's a teenage girl with an axe, that's a challenge to him. But if there's no axe, no deal. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's funny that the end of uh, the second Predator movie, he kind of uh, he throws uh, uh, Glover, uh, Danny Glover's uh, character, throws him that like flintlock pistol. And it's just like, yeah. it's like uh, a trophy to him. He just like, obviously clearly killed someone that was thoroughly unprepared to fight a predator. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so they, uh, they uh, leave the mansion. And from behind them, you can see that the ceremonial knife is magically coming back together and is whole again. 
So they come back and uh, and find Archie and the gang, and uh, you know they're obviously happy to see them. Uh, Archie's got some friends with him. <laughs> Who's the uh, who, Moose, right? The big dumb guy. Yeah, Moose is the big tough guy. So Moose has come with his father's gun, which is a squirt gun. <laughs> what? It's one of those big super soakers. What the? F- Why would that be his father's gun? Wouldn't that be his gun? I don't know. He said I brought my. Da- is it, is it a I, brought, I brought my daddy's gun. <laughs> and it's a squirt gun. <laughs> So, so uh, their other friend says, I brought my daddy and I brought my uncle's guns and uh, his dad happens to be in the, in the military. So he brought his dad who happens to be like a special ops guy. Then there is just a huge long amount of exposition on the next (laughs) thing from the military guy, because Betty shows him the picture of what they're dealing with. And he's like, oh, kids, for the safety of this great country of ours, occasionally the U.S. military keeps things secret from the general citizenry. <laughs> One of those things is the existence of predators. And they, uh, you know, they're all like, oh, predators. Oh, what else does the government keep from us? All this stuff. And so he goes to the whole mythology of the predators, how they come here. Uh, they take... Uh, you know, they hunt human beings, they take trophies, all that stuff. And he kind of gives them the rules. If you're not armed and everything, you'll be you'll be fine. And they want to use Veronica as bait because they think that it <laughs> wants Veronica for some reason. But Veronica, you know, the dad, the dad, military dad says uh, that he doesn't, you know, he's not going to use a woman. So somebody's got to dress up as Veronica and... Okay. Yeah, lo and behold, <laughs> it's Jughead. Uh, Veronica promises him to buy him uh, lunch every day for a year, and that is enough to get him an address. Quite costly, though. So they, um, you know, all the military, the guys, his military buddies, and uh, and um, Moose and uh, and the rest of them, uh, they take off to find the predator. And uh, Archie and the rest of the gang kind of stay back. So Jughead's out there, and he's like, hey, what are you waiting for? Kill me, blah, blah, blah. And the Predator kind of shoots like a warning shot, knocks uh, Jughead over, and then uh, the military guys are waiting behind this car, and the Predator just flips this car over and crushes a bunch of them. (laughs) (laughs) Like, they're just cut in half. He's oh, just, wow. yeah, he's just like, uh, you I know, think this is the best comic series I've ever heard of in my entire life. He's just going through them. Uh, he, he, the one guy's, uh, got like half a body and he's crawling towards me. He's like, Hey, ugly, your mama said it was your birthday. So I got you a present. And the guy, the predator lifts him up and the guy smiles and he's got a live grenade in his hand. And lets nice. it blow up, and uh, so the predator runs by with just fire coming off of him, and uh, <laughs> Jughead's, uh, you know, in there. He gets up. He's got Veronica's purse. He feels inside. He's like, "Hey, what's this?" And it's the knife. And behind him, we see the predator. What the and, fuck? And that is where it ends. Until next week and next issue.
And the next issue is the one you were talking about where they're at the malt shop with the three straws and the milkshake. That is the I, that is the best picture I've ever seen in my whole life. Oh, yeah. It is hilarious. But that will be uh, the penultimate issue uh, next next week, issue number three. And then the week after that, we'll do issue four. And then we will have done the entire uh, oeuvre. That's the word I mispronounced last week. <laughs> <laughs> of... Um, the uh, Archie versus the Predator. I hear in the uh, fourth issue, uh, Max Wright is interrupted having a interracial threesome while smoking crack. <laughs> but then the Predator thinks the crack pipe is a weapon, so. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, so, last week, we talked about Clerks and Mallrats. We got through the first two films of Kevin Smith's career. So today, I guess we'll pick up with uh, yoga hosers. No, today, <laughs> today we'll pick up with um, Chasing Amy, the uh, third film after uh, going out to Universal and, and getting the kind of bigger budget Hollywood movie made in the studio system. Kevin Smith was uh, obviously turned off by that. Came back to uh, his good friend Harvey Weinstein. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I have no I have no way of uh, or I have no reason to think he's a good they, man, good a good friends. man. But uh, he comes back to Miramax and uh, makes his third movie, Chasing Amy. There, uh, obviously, a lot of the regulars come back. Ben Affleck's back. Um, uh, Jason Lee is uh, back from you know uh, having been in Mallrats. Joy Lauren Adams is back, and uh, kind of. Maybe his most personal story, I would say. I know this is based partially on uh, on real things that happened in his life. Um, and uh, it's definitely, I would say it's the least, there, there's funny things in it, but I would say it's, it's the least comedy of his movies, the m- most drama of his movies. Wouldn't you agree with that? Um, I haven't seen all of uh, the F- Jersey Girl. I don't know how dramatic that is. It seems very. Yeah, that one's. Yeah, that one's pretty. But heavy. I wouldn't really consider that to be a Kevin like a part of the askew averse. That's really what I consider to be the core of the Kevin Smith films. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. This one, uh, outside of Yoga Hosers, is the most dramatic <laughs> movie I've seen. But uh, the story of uh, Alyssa Jones, who is actually bisexual, um, but, uh, you know, at first we think she's a lesbian because she's dating a woman. But uh, Holden um, McNeil, that's his last name, right? Uh, I think so. And this, again, is another literary reference. Holden, probably a reference to Holden Caulfield from Catching the Rye. Right. He, um, you know, he kind of falls in love with her, gets sort of obsessed with her. They become friends and everything. And, and, uh, you know, they start, uh, they end up starting a relationship because, you know, like I said, she's bisexual. Because if you're handsome enough, you could turn a lesbian straight. That's right. If you have that high, uh, Ben Affleck nineties hair, I mean, that, that, that is maybe some of the highest hair I've ever seen on a human being. I think they initially had Kid from Kid and Play going to play that role, <laughs> but he ba- he backed out, so they had to go with Ben Affleck. It is a hell of a bouffant, but uh, yeah, he, um, you know, they fall in love and everything, and uh, you know, 
I'm not going to spoil the movie for anyone that hasn't seen it, but things things might not go as planned. See, I think we should spoil the movie because it's like 20 years old. Yeah, that's true. Well, he ends up... Um, he ends up... You see how easy that was to talk me into just spoiling the movie? You're like Dante. <laughs> but uh, he... Um, Maybe we should do a mass killing. What do you think, Mark? <laughs> well, I mean, I, that that could work. You know? <laughs> there are a lot of people on the planet. Too much, some would say. Um, but uh, yeah, they. Um, so he asks about her past. He finds out that she's a lot more experienced than him. Which you know, the implication is that his character is not super experienced. So you know, you know, she had sex with with girls and guys, I mean, duh, way more, way more experienced than you sexually, which bothers him to the point of, you know, he finds out she had a three way. He doesn't like it. And he wants to do, he thinks the way to, to fix all this is to have a three way with her and his best friend, um, who he thinks has a crush on him. Who's also a guy. And, um, uh, you know, obviously she ends up leaving because he doesn't get it. This is this is the one movie from Kevin Smith, and I like this movie a lot. But this yeah, is... it's it's very good if you haven't seen it. Uh, unfortunately, Mark wouldn't spoil the ending for everyone, but uh, <laughs> it's definitely worth seeing. But this is this is one of those movies where um, the entire time I'm like yelling at the at the protagonist, like I'm yelling at Ben Affleck's character. Uh, telling him what an idiot he is because he just doesn't it's one of those movies where the guy just doesn't get it he just doesn't understand and everyone's telling him you know what the deal is and he still doesn't get it it can it's It's, kind of frustrating which is kind of funny because just having seen clerks you know minutes ago that's a reoccurring theme dante is essentially the same character yeah, but yeah. this is like Dante is being told over and over, "Hey, you fucking idiot! You got to do this." But he's like, oh, "I don't know what to do." And then, just like Dante uh, Holden is like, "Well, I don't know. Maybe I don't feel comfortable." But I mean, you know, the whole time uh, Alyssa just really wants to be with him, in spite of you know all his you know protests that, "Oh, you're more experienced," or "You like women." You know, the whole time he's just like you know obsessed with trying to be equal as far as sexual experience goes. Yeah, it's uh, it's one of those things that I think. I think some guys are like that. Um, I'm I'm really not. Uh, I don't think you are either. But I think um, you know there are some guys that that sort of have that attitude. But it's she's trying to tell him that you know they're in love. It's about them, and it's about them right now. It doesn't whatever came before doesn't matter. And that's you know that's true of uh, of relationships. But he's. He's not there. They do they do sort of leave it open at the very end that maybe they might eventually get back together. Although, spoiler alert, when we when we go to Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, it's it's pretty clear that that never happened. Yeah, yeah, definitely at the beginning and the end of that movie, they're very clear that they don't continue their relationship. Yeah, because at one point during the video from the clit. Uh, Ben Affleck's character says, oh, it's time to take this and I missed dating a lesbian. <laughs> yeah. Which is kind of funny because, again, that shows he doesn't get it because she's not really a lesbian. I mean, she's at least bisexual. Right. At the very end, we see Alyssa herself dating, uh, what's her name from Mallrats? Trish the Dish? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, they're walking out together, you know, as a couple. Yep. 
Trish the dish. That's awesome. I mean, I, I, I think this is definitely his best movie, though it's not my personal favorite, which is kind of a weird thing to say. But, I mean, I can recognize its quality, and the, the writing is top-notch in this whole movie. And, of course, Silent Bob, one of the, the best moments is when he gives his standard Chasey Amy story, which is later referenced by Jay as something he tells all the time. Yeah. Yeah, and that's and it's it's my favorite uh, it's my favorite speech by Silent Bob for sure in any of these movies, and I and I would agree with you. I know exactly what you're talking about. This isn't my favorite Kevin Smith movie, but objectively, it probably is the best, the best, the best written and the best directed uh, of his films. It's yeah, it's almost okay. good. It's almost it's almost like you're, he's basically taking the story from Clerks and like crystallizing it into like the per- perfect possible way to do Clerks because it's again the subject is relationships. It's a character who is you know basically submitting himself to all this hellish existence. Mm-hmm. And he basically takes Clerks and just like it's not the same story by any stretch of the imagination, but it's the same sort of psychological dilemma that's like just you know exaggerated and it's like a perfect. It's, it's almost if he remade Clerks and did it perfectly. Yeah, it's it this movie hits a lot of the same themes as Clerks does. Um, you know, the themes of relationships, the themes of, you know, holding yourself back versus moving forward, the themes of, you know, what kind of things we choose for ourselves. Um in uh in Clerks, he can't let go of the past because he, you know, he wants to be with uh, this the idea of this perfect girl in Caitlin, and he can't realize the perfection of Veronica. You know, the girl that treats him nice and and you know is kind to him and puts up with his shit and everything in uh, the present. And in Chasing Amy, Holden can't let go of the of Alyssa's past. And the person he, he's basically was. jealous of the same girl he's dating and chasing Amy. Yeah, yeah, and and he can't see he can't see what she is now. He can't he can't see her for what she is now. He can only see her as a collection of, of you know the the experiences and and things that she's done, and that that's his big that's his big uh, flaw in this in this film. Oh yeah, for sure. It's almost as if you had filmed the movie from Melissa's perspective, uh, Holden wouldn't be the hero by any stretch of the imagination. He's like this kind of like beta type male who can't quite possibly, you know, allow himself to let himself accept how who the person he's dating is. Yep, absolutely. I, I agree. And, if, and of course, as usual, Jason Lee basically steals the movie. He's amazing in this. He's at he's Banksy, I believe, is a character in this one. Yeah. Which I don't know what that's a reference to, if anything. Maybe. Do you know by chance? Um, no, Banky. Uh, Banky, that's right. Not Banksy. I'm thinking of the street artist guy. I, I can't remember his last name either. But uh, I don't know, like uh, Brody Bruce and <laughs> Banky. I don't know. He, I guess he likes B names with Jason Lee. Yeah, and I, I, I kind of would disagree with you. But I think there's a lot of really good jokes in this one. Like, for example, the opening scene where um. I cannot remember his name. The their friend, uh, who's like the uh, the underground artist, who's like who it makes a coo- uh, honky hating coon. Is that what the comic is? Yeah, H- Hooper is his character's name. Yeah, yeah. is I that his name? Hooper. Yeah, I don't know the actor's name. The the actor is really good. He was actually in the movie uh, Hackers. I don't know if you've seen that. He plays oh, yeah. uh, Lord Nikon. Yep. Yeah, he's he's pretty. He has some pretty. That whole scene is pretty hilarious. And the whole part where um 
where Banky and uh, Holden are like in line signing autographs, and like <laughs> the guy calls Banky out for being a tracer. Yeah, <laughs> that whole part is great. <laughs> and then there's just an amazing scene which uh, is basically set up like in Mallrats, where you know they have Hooper, and they have Banky, and they're they're not Hooper. It wasn't Hooper. It was Alyssa. They were discussing their scars, like in Jaws. Yeah, Hooper Hooper was there, but he's not. He's not. Um... Part of he's not comparing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's like it's like it's all not verbatim, but it's clearly a reference to Jaws, which is you know another mm-hmm. Kevin Smith reference to Jaws, where they're comparing their scars, you know, their sex scars instead of you know obviously shark or fish scar. Yeah, and I mean, and I think if I'm not mistaken, uh, Joey Lauren Adams had dated Kevin Smith for a while. Yes, that's correct. And isn't the story about their relationship, which is really kind of fucked up. I mean, it's almost like he's, like, putting the person who he had dated in the movie. He has to interact with her daily. And, like, you know, he's basically having her be how she was in Holden, which Ben Affleck, uh, I mean, if you want to say that you look like Ben Affleck when you're for Kevin Smith, more power to you, I guess. <laughs> I mean, he's basically reliving. I mean, it's it's it's, ama- I mean, it's it's an amazing movie. I would see it. You know, it's it deserves any critical claim it gets. It's At the time, it was probably pretty, <laughs> pardon me. It's probably pretty, you know, innovative for like engaging with like the LGBTB LGBT community. Q. Yeah, I think there's a Q in there. I'm sorry, I'm not trying to be offensive. I just honestly don't know what the acronym is. I saw. Um, I'm also not trying to be offensive. I'll just I'll just put that out there. And I can't remember what the letter was, but I was at a college campus probably about a year ago, and I saw a sign that said LGBTQ. And then I think it was R or or something like that. And I was with, you know, a group of younger people who should be, you know, sort of hip to these things. And none of us could figure out what the hell it stood for. I'm like, what does that last letter mean? Was it an A? Might have been. If it's an A, I think it means asexual. But I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, again, we're, 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 we're probably too old to know what the latest slang or, you know, acronym is. Yeah. I mean, at the time, you know, 1996, 99, no, no, not 96. It had to be 99, I would guess. What, this movie? Yeah. 97. Oh, really? That was pretty fast after Mallrats then, because it wasn't Mallrats 96? Yeah. I'm surprised he was able to make another movie, because it seems like the whole experience of making Mallrats is quite traumatic for Kevin Smith. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. He's talked about it a lot. Yeah, but I mean, good for him. I mean, he. I mean, what's weird is because Clerk seems like it's like obviously like you know there's a personal element to it. Mallrats just seems like a kind of like a madcap comedy. There's very little like dramatic parts to it. I mean, yeah, there's a love story framing the whole thing, but every like Mallrats is just played for laughs the whole movie, as far as I can tell. For sure, yeah. Mallrats is Mallrats is probably well, I don't know because Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back does exist, but um, you know, it's Mallrats is maybe the the most just like broadly comedic movie he's ever made. Yeah, that's. I mean, you. I mean, you couldn't say it wouldn't be. It could be done by anyone because it's. It's clearly a, that's like Mallrats is like the perfect. I mean, Clerks is in the view askew. Mm-hmm. But I would say Mallrats really just breaks that open. That's. I mean, every there's so many inside jokes and references. I mean, honestly, if you watch Mallrats and you don't. And that's like one of the first Kevin Smith movies you see. You need to listen to the audio commentary because there's so many inside jokes and references going on. You you will not catch. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. And I'm I'm surprised Joey Lord Adams didn't go on to bigger movies after Chasing Amy. She's really good in that. She is, and she, you know she's good in Dazed and Confused. 
Um, you know, she's good in, in pretty much everything that I've seen her in. She's a yeah, very she's, good actress. She's a good actress. She's attractive. You know, I, I don't know why she didn't do bigger things. But, I mean, as far as I know, she didn't do much after Mallrats. Not that I'm aware of. Uh, you know, the first thing the first thing I ever saw her in was Married with Children. Did you ever see that episode? I don't know if I've seen that episode. No, it was a perfect. It was a perfect nineties episode because Bud Bundy, his cousin, played by the guy who oh, I cannot remember his name. He played Larry Kuviak in Parker Lewis Can't Lose. Oh yeah, I loved that show. Yeah, yeah. So he's like this big, like huge ripped guy. He was he was gonna get married to this woman who was Joy Lauren Adams. Oh okay. And then when she came over, uh, Bud actually like a. Uh, she seduced Bud for some reason because I don't know why Bud Bundy was so attracted to her. Mm. And then Bud lost his virginity to her, and it was like pretty. The whole episode was hilarious. That's the first time I ever saw her, and ever since I saw that, I'm like, ooh, Joy Lauren Adams. Okay, I'll have to follow her. I guess the last thing that she was in, yeah, she, she, wow, she has not done much. Um, well, I mean, she's done a lot of movies, but a lot of them, you know, like. She was in a, a movie called Animal in 2014, um, which, you know, looks like it's from Chiller Films. So it was on the Chiller Network. Oh, um, oh yeah, yeah. And then she was in a movie called Sequoia in 2014, which looks like it's about a killer Sequoia. Oh, okay. I don't know. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's 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 just weird, really, I mean, Kevin Smith has, like, a knack for finding, like, great actors and actresses. I mean, mm-hmm. some of them don't seem to go on too much beyond his movies. I don't know why. I mean, obviously, he's a great writer. Maybe he just, like, perfectly tailors the scripts to them. But I, I would have kind of, I would have loved to see more movies with Joey Lauren Adams. Dwight Ewell, that's who played Hooper. Yeah, he, I mean, he, like I said, he was in Hackers. Mm-hmm. Um he was in this. He's been in more things too, but he's also a, a really good actor. I mean, he's fucking hilarious in Jason Amy. He's 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 pretty much in every f- very very funny scene. Mm, oh yeah. Like speaking of Archie, the whole <laughs> that's my favorite scene when he was talking to Banky about the Archie comics. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a great scene uh, too. There's and what I mean by like the movies like more serious or or less funny. I mean, like, uh, like it's not like you know, slapping your knees, like laugh out loud kind of things. So but there's stuff that just sticks well, with you. For well, that. I mean, like all the way through, like that the part about um, the Darth Vader thing at the at the beginning with Hooper is hilarious. And, oh yeah, for sure. And the Archie comic part is hilarious and stuff. The beginning, the first like twenty minutes or so of the movie is very funny, and then it gets it gets pretty serious. Um, but I guess it just you know it's and I'm not saying it's not a funny movie. It's it definitely is, but I think it's just there's there's more drama in this one than there is not a lot of his films. Yeah, I would I would it's I would say if you had to categorize it, it would definitely be like a I'd say maybe a romantic drama. Yeah. It's not like a romantic comedy by any stretch. I mean, there's funny parts, but they're not like you know inherent to the you know plot of the movie. That's true. And again, there's a there's gonna there's another Kevin Smith almost like a trademark hockey. You know, they're at a hockey game when she just screams at the top of her lungs that she was in a three way with uh, I can't remember their names, <laughs> Rick Darris and somebody else. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the guy who calls her finger cuffs. I can't remember his name. Yeah. Oh God. And yeah, Banky's the one that finds that out. Banky, uh, yeah, because Bank, Banky wants that relationship to end because of jealousy. Yeah, it's kind of interesting because it kind of does imply that Banky does have a thing for Holden at the end of the movie because he's super eager to be in the three way. He's like, yes, and then she's like, no. 
Yeah, if you uh, it, well at the end of um, Jane saw Bob Strike Back. Yeah, it's kind of confirmed that that he is. Yeah, he's he's in a relationship with Hooper at the end of the movie. Yeah, yeah, I love that. I love that uh, that part. But uh, yeah, and, and again, I mean, it, it's so hard. I mean, there's so many good performances in the movie. Of course, Jason Lee is great in this. He's he's good in every Kevin Smith movie I've ever seen him in. Yo, yeah, yeah, me too. But uh, I think uh, we can move on uh, from. And is there anything else that you want to say about Chasing Amy? I mean, just uh, other than a recommendation. I mean, you really don't have to see the ever, other Eskewiverse movies to see Chasing Amy. Yeah, and you get more more value out of it. I mean, if you have seen the other ones, there's references and little jokes and inside jokes that you'll get, and you'll already know like the performances, you know, by. I mean, it's almost in contrast, like, you know, um, Ben Affleck's character in Chasing Amy versus character in uh, Mallrats is completely different. Yeah. yeah Basically, I, he's kind of playing the same sort of character, but... Yeah, I agree. This is probably the most accessible of Kevin Smith's movies if you haven't seen or don't want to see any of the other View Universe movies. Uh, it's obviously still, you know, highly connected with characters and, and stuff like that, but... Um, but yeah, it's it's probably the most standalone-ish of his movies. But um, yeah, it's it's a very it's a very uh, well-made film for sure. Yeah, I would even say I mean I'm I'm a little surprised it wasn't like an Oscar nominee for something. I mean, even writing it's it's a very good movie. Yeah, I agree. I don't think it was. I I mean I think it was nominated for some awards, but not uh, maybe not. Um, I think it won like a Glad Award, maybe. I could be wrong on that. Yeah, that's possible. Which I'm not even going to guess what that stands for. <laughs> um, but speaking of Glad, I know Mike is glad to talk about the next, <laughs> the next movie. <laughs> because this is your favorite of the, as we learned in the, in the audio commentary, as you will learn in the audio commentary uh, if you go and listen to it. Uh, Mike's favorite of the Kevin Smith movies uh, a couple years later, uh, Dogma. Oh, yeah, that's easily my favorite. Uh, and it's not saying I don't like the other ones, but I, I could watch Dogma all day. I love that movie. You want to tell us what the story of Dogma is? Yeah, Dogma, much like Chasing Amy is like a, a lot of inside references to Kevin Smith's uh, relationship issues, Dogma, I think, is a big... Uh, big kind of allegory of his conflict with his religious belief. Mm. The idea of dogma is that two uh, angels have uh, found a loophole in uh, basically the entire concept of religion, whereas if they cross through this, um, is it an arc? Yeah, the archway of this church, yeah. Yeah, if they cross through it, then they will uh, basically become uh, be forgiven for all their sins and they can get into heaven, which is something that God, played by Alanis Morissette, says that can't happen, so it'll basically negate all of existence. Right, yeah. The, uh, um, Alan Rickman kind of explains, he's like, uh, the basis of the entire universe is that God is infallible. And if someone were to prove God wrong, it would negate all of existence. Yeah, and so, of course, uh, the angels are on the process to do this. Um, one of them played by, um, is it Bartleby that's played by uh, Ben Affleck? Uh, let's see. There's I know. One. I know Loki is Matt Damon. I don't remember. I think it's yeah, yeah. Bartleby. Yeah, Bartleby's Ben Affleck and Loki is Matt Damon. Yep. 
And so Bartleby is the more clever of the two. Um, he's he he knows that this will ne- negate existence, where he's kind of dragging uh, Matt Damon along for the ride. Where Matt Damon just thinks he'll get back in that. Yeah, and Matt Damon like Matt Damon plays a dumb guy in this movie, kind of like. But it's a very first of all the the chemistry, and you know I know that that Ben Affleck and Matt Damon have known each other since they were kids and stuff like that. But the chemistry. Uh, between the two of them and between the director uh, Kevin Smith as well is clearly evident. Um, they work incredibly well together. They go back and forth really well together. They're 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 just excellent with each other. And Ben Affleck, uh, or I mean Matt Damon, plays an idiot in the most subtle, like nuanced performance I've ever seen of someone playing someone that's just kind of not super bright oh yeah yeah for sure he's 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 not he's playing a dumb guy who isn't like obviously dumb i mm-hmm. mean you if you pay attention you're like oh he's he doesn't he's not very smart but he's not like oh look at me i'm tripping over all the all over the place or i'm saying the dumbest things ever he's just like you said he's a very subtle performance so it's a good performance by matt damon for sure oh yeah and th- there's only one like part where he where he kind of stands up to to Ben Affleck, it's you know it's like a emotionally charged scene, um, but you know even after that he kind of just goes along with it, he just sort of goes along the entire movie, and and yeah, Bartleby is definitely more of the driving force of the the film. Yeah, and there's um, I'm I'm going away. I, I can't remember the opening scene. The opening scene. So they open. Well, first of all, there's a. Pr- yeah, Even the opening credits are pretty funny because there was a lot of controversy over this movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is probably his most. Con- I mean, Chasey Amy was controversial, I think, because you know, heaven forbid, the gays have a, a say in the movie making process <laughs> at the time. Right, and there was there was controversy for sure over Chasey Amy because there was you know they had characters who weren't you know the standard you know heterosexual characters and that sort of thing, but. I mean that's bad enough, I suppose, for the you know those people who have enough time to criticize movies, right? <laughs> but then even at the beginning of uh, of Chasing Me, there's like a long disclaimer about how he's not trying to be offensive towards you know Catholicism mm-hmm. or platypuses. I mean, there's like a there's quite a bit of it because I mean there was there's it's it's hard to believe in this day and age, but there was a lot of controversy over the fact that you know what's stated in the Bible isn't you know matter of fact 100 percent is truth, and that's <laughs> right. basically what this movie's. Actually, I think I remember how it opens. It opens with a homeless guy playing skee ball on yep. the Jersey on well, the Jersey. Sh- well, he's kind of standing. He's sort of standing. Um, on, I just watched this movie last night, so that, like that's uh, that's why I have a bit of an advantage. But oh yeah, for sure. I haven't seen it in a long. I mean, I can watch if I watch a movie. I like it a lot. That doesn't necessarily mean I'll ever watch it again. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I've watched uh, this more than once, and I'd like to watch it again. I just haven't seen it in a long time, so please go ahead. But yeah, he's he's standing like at uh, the railing right before the beach, like on the boardwalk, and he's kind of looking out at the boardwalk, and those three um, those three kids uh, come up to him and kind of bang, you know, like bang the crap out of him. The three the three kids on the. Uh, the rollerblades, the the uh, street hockey players. Yeah, again, another reference to hockey. I mean, I, I can't think of a movie so far in the Kevin Smith universe that didn't have a reference to hockey. Yeah, I don't. Mallrats? Did Mallrats have a hockey reference? Um. Well, yeah, because he's playing uh, the the NHL uh, hockey game at the beginning. Yeah, yeah, you're right. <laughs> That's a great. We we skipped right over that line. That's the best part ever. <laughs> Hartford the <laughs> whale. The 
Yeah, Jason Lee's playing uh, NHL 95 or something, and he's like, he won't have sex with his girlfriend because, you know, he's up, like, what is it, like 30 to 1 or something insane like that? I think it's 26 to 2. I'm sure you're right, yeah, but it was <laughs> it was just such such a monumental, monumental event that he couldn't do anything else. Oh, my God. But, yeah, so they, they beat the crap out of him. As we later learn, that's God. You know, who who loves skee-ball and comes and finds a human body to inhabit for a little bit uh, to play skee-ball once every month or so. And as part of the plan of Jason Lee's character, uh, Azrael, um, they can't kill him because then he'll, you know, he'll go to heaven because it's God. Um so they have to incapacitate him in some way that he doesn't die. So they put him, you know, the, the three of them put uh, him into a coma. Which, you know, I think it's, it, it always struck me as funny. Uh, these three uh, little minions that he's got are clever enough to, you know, jump God and beat him up to where he's in a coma. Uh, but they can't beat up Jay and Silent Bob. <laughs> Well, I mean, uh, God was in a, uh, I guess he was in like a homeless guy's form. Yeah. You would think that somebody would get him out of this jam, but I guess this this is just not the time. <laughs> yeah, this, this movie has so many controversial things. I mean, there's the right to, I mean, he's in a coma. I mean, mm-hmm. and there's like, you know, people say you should stay on life support for as long as you can. That's an issue in this movie. Yep. Abortion's a big the main character Bethany works at an abortion clinic, even though she's like a diehard, goes to church as often as you can. Catholic. Yeah, she's sort of like a bored, like losing faith in her religion kind of Catholic. Um, yeah, but she can't quite take that final step to fully, you know, divest herself of her religion. Yeah, and she still she still gives to the collection and everything. Janine Garofalo's in this movie for. For a short period of time, she plays uh, someone that works with with uh, Bethany uh, at the abortion clinic, and she said, "You know, oh, you know, how would they react if they knew that your weekly tithing came from a uh, you know a Planned Parenthood check?" Yeah, yeah. And then like another, that's like a, probably the second scene when they introduce Bethany, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, yeah, the uh, yeah after um, beating up the uh, the homeless guy. They uh, the next scene is her in church, kind of just like uh, you know, uh, like reciting the the words, you know. And then I think then she has a dream that night with uh, Alan Rickman. Is he's good in everything I've ever seen Alan Rickman in? Mm-hmm. I would watch any movie with Alan Rickman. He's even good in stuff I haven't seen him in. That's how good <laughs> of an actor he is. Yeah, he was in a Miss Buttersworth commercial I've never seen. He's amazing. <laughs> But no, Alan, Alan Rickman, he's, uh, he plays the Metaron, which is the voice of God. Yep. Which I think makes sense as far as like the Choir of Angels, ETC. Yep. I'm not religious, but I mean, I, I've studied or learned enough about it to know that that is a real thing. Yeah, in the movie, everything later, he says is accurate in the movie, yep. Yeah, they later explain that God, if you were to hear God it, herself's voice, because God is played by Alanis Morissette. Right. Which must mean Dave Coulier had all the time of his life with her. <laughs> But, I mean, oh. so so he she can't speak herself, so she all her you know dictate she dictates everything through the Metaron. So Bethany has a vision where she's in a restaurant, which is like I think down the street from where she actually sleeps. Yep. 
he's basically telling he's like, oh, you have you have to watch out these two, you know, these two helpers. I can't remember if he calls them. They're not angels for sure. They're Jay and Silent Bob prophets. They're prophets, and then so she's like, okay, whatever. She wakes up and there's like a there's like the Mariacha Shaker or whatever that's called. Uh, yeah, they're uh, um, damn it, what are they called? Um, oh, not ca- I don't know. not castanets. Those are the the ones you. Yeah. yeah, whatever whatever it is, she has it. Carmen Miranda so then she, things. <laughs> bananas? Yeah, right. <laughs> so she goes to work the next day, and then she stays late, and when she's leaving, she's jumped by the same three uh, demonic kids that, you know, beat up God. Mm-hmm. But they can't beat up Jay and Silent Bob. Yep, Jay and, Jay and Silent Bob were hanging out there because they were looking for loose women. <laughs> yes, right. they figure if <laughs> if uh, chicks were going to an abortion clinic, then they'll, they'll definitely put out. They're not wrong. Uh, the one complaint that I have about this movie, and I'm wondering how you feel about it. Um, I don't love Linda Fiorentino. Yeah, I don't think she's a great actress. And I, but I actually heard that there's a lot of conflict with her and Kevin Smith during the entire movie. That doesn't like surprise he, me at all. Like he didn't like her, she didn't like him, which is interesting because I heard the same thing about Shannon Doherty. Yep. I wonder. I wonder if like there's an actress like that has like a like Shannon Doherty was actually pretty like famous from like nine hundred two and or whatever before then. Mm-hmm. I wonder if like his like approach to filmmaking at least at that time wasn't like enough that they like really respected him. I don't know what the issue was, but from what I've heard, they like just didn't get along. Well, I know he wanted Joey Lauren Adams to be to play uh, the Bethany role in in the movie, and I can see, see her a little bit in it, but I I don't know. See, I don't think that would be a better choice than the woman who actually was in it. I think she did a good job, but yeah, her performance wasn't like, you know, super convincing. She didn't seem very conflicted. She was kind of like, you know, very subdued. She just plays it really weird. Like there's um like when she's uh when she's talking to Alan Rickman's character at the beginning and um you know, she's like he's talking and she's like she kind of like nods her head and she's like the 10th plague, you know, and, and stuff like that. She seems almost like she's drunk or, or like, I don't, I don't, I don't know if she's trying to play it. Like she's asleep. It's just her performance just seems not in every part of the movie, but in, in certain aspects, it just seems like you can tell her and Kevin Smith are not on the same page because yeah, it, for it, sure. it just it doesn't seems fit with off. the rest of the performances in the movie. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It clashes with a lot of the rest of the other performances. Yeah. Yeah, she's. I don't think she's a bad actress. She's just not playing it as you know the rest of the actors are playing. Exactly. There's like they're playing it like you know there's a little bit of humor, but there's you know there's definitely like a dramatic like you know storyline they're trying to convey the whole time. But it's it's uh, she's just like really like I'm over this kind of thing the whole movie. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, she's saved by Jay and Silent Bob, and then she remembers the vision she had from the Metaron, and so she's like, "Okay, these guys will take me where I need to go." Because she suddenly believes, you know, after a weird dream, that she suddenly believes everything that she didn't believe anymore is true. Yeah. Which I mean, I mean, if it weren't for that, whatever the fuck that thing is called, not Maraca, but whatever. I mean, I guess it wouldn't make sense. But that does, you know. Yeah, I think it is. Yeah, I think I think it is (laughs) Maraca. Yeah, so after that, they go on their adventures. Um, Jay and Silent Bob take her, and Jay and Silent Bob, of course, are trying to fuck her the whole time. Yeah, 
I think they're actually trying to get her a three-way at one point. I'm not sure. Oh, no. They, they, they extract a promise that if the world's on the verge of ending, that she'll have sex with both of them. Correct. But Jake is to go first. Yep. Yeah, that's obvious. I mean. And, <laughs> and what I just remembered about this movie is this is there's a pretty fucking funny part. And this this is this makes it okay. If you recall, they're at a diner or a restaurant, and they're talking about Sherman, Illinois, which is a setting of many John uh, Hughes films. Yep. So they're going on and on about, oh man, that guy's the man. He makes these great movies, you know? Yeah. And then later, at one point, uh, Selma Hayek plays a muse. Yes, I noticed this. Go ahead. Yeah, and then she's, she's like, oh, yeah, I made a deal with the devil for this guy who made this movie, uh, which is basically Home Alone. But John Hughes made Home Alone. Yeah. I, I always, like, I when I was watching it last night, that struck me because, yeah, she says that um, she's a muse and she inspires people. And she was responsible for 15 of the 16 top grossing films of all time. And Bethany asks what the one that she wasn't involved with was. And she goes, that... Uh, that movie with the kid and his parents are gone and she puts her, she claps her hands to her face yeah, and yeah. goes, ah, you know, she goes, I had nothing to do with that one. Someone <laughs> sold their soul to the devil to get that, the grosses up on that piece of shit. Yeah. And that's John Hughes. <laughs> I know. And I, I said, I, said, well, I, was so watching, I was watching it with my wife and I was like, that's a John Hughes movie too. <laughs> Which is weird. I mean, I'm sure Kevin Smith knew that, but it's just so funny that there's like, such reverence for John Hughes and like, oh, fuck you, John Hughes. You sold your soul to the devil. <laughs> right. Oh. But yeah, so it's, all in all, I think uh, I think Dogma's, uh, I mean, the this is like, you know, there there are a few I won't recommend, the uh, um, Kevin Smith movies, unfortunately. But, the, you know, this is another one that I would, uh, I would recommend. And uh, I think this is, uh, you know, an incredibly strong movie. There's a lot of good philosophy in this movie. There's a lot of good humor in this movie. Um, I think Jason Lee playing the role of uh, Azrael is, you know, again... Seal a performance that seals the movie. He's great in it. He's not in it very long, but he's he's really good. There's a conflict or he is also a muse at one point. Yep. But he re, and during the war in heaven, he refused to join sides because he considered himself to be an artist. And then Selma Hayek he basically says, "Well, Elvis was an artist. He went to the army." Yeah, it, you know, and it's funny too because you know it, it's presented in a way where you can kind of see both sides of the arguments. You know, like, uh, why should he have gotten punished because he didn't take sides? But then it's like, uh, hey, you know, if you're not going to stand up for... I mean, like, if we're assuming all this is real, it's like, you know, you're not going to stand up for God, you know, um, when, uh, you know, someone's trying to take over heaven. I mean, what does that say about you? (laughs) Oh, yeah, for sure. But uh, then there's like a... Go ahead. I was just going to say, if Chasing Amy is his, like, most personal and most kind of, like, serious, uh, you know work or or movie i think dogma is probably his smartest yeah there's a lot of i mean there's obviously a lot of religious overtones to this movie mm-hmm. there's a, like great scenes like when they when, when there could be a more obvious uh blasphemy than the uh, restaurant movies golden calf yes the golden calf it's a whole fresh whole franchise about a golden cow and they go to the board <laughs> meeting and um, Bartleby, who can like, he could look into people's souls. He basically just calls out every member of the board as mm-hmm. being like sinful and directly, you know, being opposed to God and His will. And at the very end, like, there's one woman. He's like, "Oh, well, you, you're a saint. You know, you haven't done anything wrong. You're perfectly fine." Mm-hmm. But then Matt Damon, being the dumb guy, 
and also the most dogmatic goes, but when I sneeze, you didn't say, God bless you. <laughs> yeah, that was the best. He's like, but you didn't say God bless you when I sneeze. He's yeah. about to shoot her. And uh, Bartleby's like, come on, Loki. And he just looks at her and he goes, you're getting off light for not saying God bless you. Which is an interesting take because he's not wrong. I mean, if you look at the religious texts, there's so many, especially in the book of, I think it's Deuteronomy. Mm-hmm. There's so many tiny things that are like equally blasphemous to like first degree murder, like mixing multiple fabrics, not eating fish or eating meat on a Friday. Yep. They're equally bad. And that's basically like, I don't know if that's a direct reference to that or not, but it's certainly within the realm of possibility. Well, I think, you know, and I know that, that Kevin Smith obviously was raised Catholic. Um, he uh, He's read a lot about Catholicism and, and other religions. I know. I don't think that it's a coincidence that, Matt Damon's character Loki is the most simple-minded and also the most dogmatic. Oh yeah, for sure. I think we would be we would uh, be neglectful to our review if we didn't mention the uh, the addition of 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 kind of very infrequent contributor to the uh, Kevin Smith universe, mm-hmm. the uh, great George Carlin. Yep, yep. Yeah. This gives us one of the funniest visual gags when he he's trying to make like a cooler hip uh, religion. He comes up with Buddy Christ. Yes, the Buddy Christ. It's Jesus giving a big thumbs up and a wink. <laughs> yeah, and it's you know it's funny with um, with uh, Carlin's obvious take on on religion and stuff. He said went during his lifetime. He said a lot of stuff uh, you know about religion, and he plays a cardinal who's Cardinal Glick, who's obviously um, you know like his motivations are not a hundred percent pure. He's he's obviously more in it for kind of self aggrandizement and stuff like that. You know, doing uh, doing like everything that he's doing, it's uh, it's definitely an interesting take. I see why why religious people were upset. I suppose, although I'm, you know, I'm one of those people that uh, that says if you don't like the subject of a movie or a TV show or something, just don't watch it. <laughs> like, I mean, George Carlin alone being in the movie could be like controversial because of his you know outstated atheism during his whole life, right? And just like severe, and it's kind of funny. He has a whole bit on like religious people wearing hats, and of course he's a cardinal with like a giant hat at some point. <laughs> yeah. And his whole like he basically like sets up the movie by like saying you know through a marketing campaign that if you pass through these gates that you'll be absolved of all sin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he causes you know, the problem. Yeah, pretty. <laughs> and then he also causes a solution at one point because um, when Azrael and his goons have uh, like. They're basically the world's ending because they're about to pass through the archway. Mm-hmm. They have them hold up in a bar, and like, um, you know, they're basically about to, you know, kill the main characters when they realize, oh wait, Glick is arrogant enough to bless his golf club, so they're technically a holy instrument. So they use them to kill. Uh, is it they kill Azrael with them? Yeah, they kill Azrael. Lets him. He basically because uh, Salma Hayek's uh, character Serendipity is uh, like trying to signal to Silent Bob to use the the golf club. That they stole from, uh, from <laughs> yeah. Cardinal Click, and um, and he sees what she's doing, and he was like, "Oh, you, you're gonna, I'm a demon. You're gonna hit me with a, a with a putter or whatever." Yeah, he's yeah. like, "Go on, <laughs> uh, Aaron, maybe." I don't yeah, know. he's like, "Go on, uh, go on, take your best shot." And he he opens up his shirt and everything, and says, "Do it." So Silent Bob does it, and you know it like totally caves in his. Uh, his chest and everything. Yeah. And then uh, Bethany, uh, who is the last scion, which is she's the the last living descendant of Christ. She blesses the sink and they put the, the three kids 
heads in there, uh, you know, and, and kill them because she has the power to make holy water. Yeah, that was like, and again, another like, I mean, just like him being so arrogant to bless his club. I think that's, you know, another commentary on like Kevin Smith's view of religion, at least like, oh, they're so, you know, nonchalant with like, oh, I'll bless this. I'll bless this. Give me, you know, some money. I'll bless this. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think, I think, uh, I mean, I, we don't know Kevin Smith personally, obviously, and I haven't talked to him about, you know, anything like this, but I, I think based on interviews and and different things that he's done in movies and stuff like that, that probably his view of religion is probably best, um, summed up by Chris Rock's character in the movie who plays the forgotten 13th apostle Rufus. Rufus, yeah, yeah, that's a good, that's a good, uh, uh, kid, Chris Rock is not a great actor, and you can tell that from this movie, because he mm. basically just yells all of his lines. Yeah, he's a- and as far as I know, he's in this, and James L. Bob Strike Back, and no other Kevin Smith movies. Not that I'm aware of. Not that I can think of off the top of my head. He, you know, I, I think, uh, Chris Rock is funny in, uh, certain things. And some of his stand-up is, is funny. Yeah, his stand-up, he has some classic stand-up bits. But, I mean, as an actor, he is not a good actor. But you're right, yeah. He, uh, he, like, I, I, I hesitate to even call him an actor. <laughs> I mean, he's like, a lot of times he's just, like, he's just reading his lines as if he's doing stand-up, you know? Oh, yeah, for sure. But, um, but yeah, he, uh, he basically says that, um, that, uh, having um, beliefs is bad. That um, you know, people die for beliefs, people kill for beliefs. He basically talks about uh, the rigidity of uh, religious belief systems and how they're slow to change, and and people cling on to them even when proven wrong and things like that. And he says, you know, ideas are better. Having a, a good idea, ideas can be changed, ideas can be manipulated, molded, and stuff. And that seems to me to be sort of Kevin Smith's. Um, feeling or, or thoughts about religion. I would agree with that. And also we have to remember that uh, uh, Chris Rock is in a scene with the uh, the guy who played Hooper in um, Chasing Amy. Yeah, that's which right. Which you said his name already. I already forgot. He's very, very briefly in the movie. And I actually read that there was an extended, there was more of an expanded part, but it was kind of cut. Mm-hmm. Where he's like at the uh, strip bar where they meet serendipity and like he's a, he's a gang leader, funnily enough. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I this I, I like this movie is deeply philosophical. I'm not really just myself, but I mean the questions and you know way it like you know puts you know in perspective to other religious beliefs. I think is really interesting. Yeah, I agree. And like you said, Matt Damon is really understated in his performance in this. Ben Affleck's good. Jason Lee is always good. Um, I mean, I, there's good performances. The movie itself is really good. It was very controversial. I don't exactly know why, but I mean, it's I can see why. And George Car, you can tell George Carlin just loved playing. A <laughs> yes, absolutely. George, he was just having the time of his life. Yeah, George Carlin is uh, George Carlin is like chewing scenery like all through. Uh, through um you know each he's not in a lot of scenes but in, in every scene he's in and it's absolutely fantastic yeah it's 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 worth it would be worth it for that alone but the movie itself is good overall so here's the question mike we have a choice or we have a decision to make we can move on to jay and silent bob strike back and try to hit that like uh you know in in about 10 minutes or so or we can save that for next week 
and try to, you know, um, go through Jersey Girl Clerks to Zack and Mary Make a Porno and Cop Out in order to keep this at about uh, four um, four uh, parts. I think uh, Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back is a pretty complex movie in a lot of ways. I'd like to save that for next time. Yeah, I think that's probably the but there's and there's this is one of those movies that um I have very fond memories seeing this in the theater with you. Um especially with all the connections. There's there's part of what makes this such a complex movie is the the sheer number of connections and the sheer variety of different sources that the connections yeah, and the I, I honestly don't from. know if if a, I don't know if a non Kevin Smith fan would really enjoy James uh, Bob Strike Back. I don't think I don't think you can even I don't think you can get m- much out of it unless and and the thing is is like I, I think it's one of those movies that has different levels of enjoyment where it's a, yeah, like sure. the the more the deeper of a fan you are. The the more enjoyment you get, the fact that you and I listened to the Mallrats and like uh, Clerks and and stuff uh, DVD commentaries more than once, I yeah, had no that, I had no idea that would yeah. help us in the enjoyment of this movie. That's how deep but the movie is. You have to listen to the commentaries to get every. I mean, you could. I, I bet <laughs> I could watch that movie now and get something else out of it. I haven't. Had. Oh yeah, for sure. This is oh. a, a love letter to everybody who loves his movies. Mm-hmm. And honestly, in a lot of ways, I think it's a. I mean, they made a Clerks too. I think it's the last real movie in the view of Skewer. I agree. I think that I, I. I think this is kind of where, kind of where the whole arc of the story wraps up. I mean, the clerk Clerks two is not nearly as connected to the rest of uh, the Viewisk universe as the other movies are. But yeah, this that movie sort of ends the like. Kevin Smith's initial run. Yeah, this, I mean, this, I think basically he, it, like, again, we really can't get into it right now, but Jan Sound Bob Street Back, it's a love letter to every Kevin Smith. Yeah, I think we'll leave it there uh, tonight, and next week we will pick up with uh, Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, and we will kind of. We'll kind of go through quickly uh, some of the other ones. We might not spend quite as much time on some of uh, you know the other non-Viewisk Universe movies, although I do definitely have things to say about uh, about different ones of them. But uh, we'll, we'll leave yeah, that. Yeah, Red, Red State especially. Yes. Yeah, and that's another one I kind of want to rewatch before we talk about it next week. I might, uh, yeah. I might give that a rewatch. Sure. But, uh, yeah, so we will end it there tonight. Um, shout out again to Miranda and Leah, our, uh, you know, our new Patreons. We definitely Thank appreciate you. it. Um, shout out to, uh, to Jason, uh, for the, uh, the theme song. Um, we might be getting, a uh, trying out a new theme song pretty soon. Um, so stick around for that. You can find us on Twitter at Massive Late Fee. Facebook Massive Late Fee, uh, Massive Late Fee at gmail.com. If you want to send us, say, uh, you know, some love, if you want to send us some hate, if you want to, if you got a question that you'd like us to answer or, a, you know, a topic that you'd like us to talk about, um, I, like I said, I'll link the Patreon below if you're interested, you know, just chucking a buck, uh, you know, uh, whatever you, uh, you know, you, you want to, uh, do. And uh, I'll leave the uh, the Bandcamp. Uh, it's not up yet because we we literally just recorded it. But by the time this is published, the uh, Bandcamp will be up, 
and you can, uh, you know, you don't have to pay anything for that if you want to. Uh, you know, we certainly appreciate it, but, uh, you know, that's uh, free over at Bandcamp, the audio commentary of Clerks. I think you'll have a lot of fun. We had a lot of fun. Uh, anything else you need to say before we go, Mike? Oh, uh, you, you know what the greatest contribution uh, Scandinavia has had to uh, the world's... Uh... What is that? Nothing. <laughs> Take that, Sweden, you sons of bitches. All right, uh, have a good week, everybody. We'll see you next week. Bye. Later.